getting going, uh, joining Jesus in his mission. Because we get stuck in our mission and we're doing our thing and we can be totally consumed with our thing. And even the good thing of coming to church on a regular uh, basis, if you're finding it's just becoming a little bit monotonous or it's a little too, too, too much of a routine, I guarantee if you ask the Lord and say, Lord, you know, what is it that you're doing in me? Uh, what is it that you want to shake up in me? What is it that I need to do differently? And we're all in different seasons. So it, it's not like we all have to get up and go. For some of us, or some of you, uh, you're in a season where, you know, you need to just like be, be still. Uh, or you're in a season of mourning. Uh, or you're in a season of just trying to get better, of just healing physically, emotionally. And the best thing you can do is just be and not feel guilty because somebody's saying, hey, go to a retreat or go and do this. If, if the place you need to be with the Lord is like to relax or to meditate or to just be in the routine, the question is, what is Jesus doing in your life? Because he is doing something in you and around you. The real question is, how can you join Jesus in what it is that he's doing? But for most of us, uh, Jesus is missional. And if you're going to be a Christian for any length of time, Jesus is going to challenge you and he's going to challenge me to be missional. What I mean by missional is, is God is always interested in bringing his good news to people that aren't experiencing it or don't know it or used to experience it, but now, you know, have kind of drifted away from the Lord. So God is challenging most of us, most of the time, to be thinking about how do we connect with our friends, the people around us, to bring God's good news to them. Our challenge is often to hear what God is saying and doing and to be part of it. Uh, and it's not like, you know, I'm not telling you like I know it all and... and and uh, you don't. Uh, this is something I'm mutually, uh, you know, battling with or challenged with or whatever. I mean, a classic example is how do you end up speaking to people about spiritual things, about Jesus? How do you speak to people that aren't at all interested in Jesus about Jesus? And how can you do it in a way which is like normal, you know? Uh, it, it's not difficult for us to talk about our kids. It's not difficult for us to talk about work. It's not difficult for us to talk about sport. Uh, it may be difficult to talk about politics, but I mean, you can talk about it. But some or other, when it comes to talking about faith, it's a challenge, and it shouldn't be. And so how do we join Jesus in what he's doing? Here's a case in point. Yesterday I'm running uh, with the Hopkinson Running Club, and I ended up running. Uh, I got split off, and I'm running with this lady, and so, uh, you know, I, again, I'm thinking, how do I bring up a discussion about faith while we're running? Uh, it's not exactly the normal thing to do. Uh, so I said to her, what do you do for church, if anything? Because I know I've got to add, if anything, because 90% chance is going to be, if anything. And uh, so she gave me the uh, surprising answer. She said, oh, I'm Jewish, and my husband is Episcopalian, and uh, when we got married, I had the rabbi and the Episcopal priest, and they did it together, and it was very nice. And, and the Episcopal priest gave me this great advice. He said, you need to choose one or the other, 
and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I'm like, okay, so, like, finally, I'm like, well, how did it work out for you? Your kids are in college. Oh, they don't go to anything. The one claims to be Jewish. The other one claims to be... I'm like, so, like, how are you, like, investing in those kids? How are they going to know anything about either religion? Blah, 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 nothing. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm stuck. I've, I've got to think up, okay, what am I going to ask this person? You know, where do we go from here? I mean, you know, it's easy to think about it later, but, like, how about asking, like, is God meaningful in your life? I mean, do you see any personal interaction between God and yourself, or is, you know, do you just not believe in God? I mean, it should. What I'm, what I'm saying is, it shouldn't be difficult for us to be having spiritual conversations. Uh, and I would say, as a, as a framework, if this is a struggle for you, a framework should be, can we ask good questions? And can we put to rest the idea that we need to tell people stuff that they don't want to listen to? So if we can say, look, we don't want to get in someone's face and start telling them about Jesus when they're not interested. But we do want to be asking them questions, and if they are interested, be ready to talk to them about the Lord. I mean, this is just sort of being polite. I mean, you wouldn't get into a conversation, hopefully, about politics, whether somebody wants to talk about it or not, and you start telling them everything you think about what you think the best candidate is and, and how they should do it. I mean, you know that you're probably not going to have a great conversation unless you're talking to an echo chamber like somebody that's exactly like you, thinks like you, votes like you. Blah. I mean, a much more normal conversation would be just to sort of ask questions and, you know, what do you think? How's it going? Are you satisfied? What do you think the good things are or the bad? You know, that, that would be better than us just telling everybody our opinion. It doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't be ready to have an answer for the hope that we have within us. We should. And when the question is asked, when we asked, I think we need to respond. But I think the challenge for all of us is to be able to get in, in spiritual conversation with all the people that we get into, uh, that we interact with in a very natural and normal way. If we can do that, I think we will be achieving a lot of what God is doing in us and around us. And then I think we will see an unbelievable amount of opportunities of where Jesus is really working and at work. Because when you start asking questions uh, about faith with people, you will realize they're either like totally disinterested. They have like no interest. I, you know, I don't believe in God. I want to know about God. It's, um, and invariably the discussion goes into religion and into ritual and into what they did as kids and how they hated it. But if you can stay with like why God's alive and how he's meaningful to you, it becomes a rich discussion. But if they don't want to talk about it, you don't want to really discuss it. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, believe me, I run with a lot of people. Yeah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Okay, I'm busy. I'm well, like all of a sudden their pace picks up and, you know, <laughs> that's normal for me. So, uh, but after, after Easter, uh, God did something that's still pertinent for us today. It's the same pattern. God died on Easter and he was resurrected. I mean, he died on the cross on Good Friday and was resurrected on Easter. And this pattern is still pertinent for us today because God is in the business of changing our lives first and then the lives of those around us. And the reason the book of Acts is so interesting for us is it's the bridge on 
how God does it and how He works in us and through us and how it's not like super easy or super obvious. Uh, Paul and his other uh, disciples, they go around trying to bring good news and they meet up with a lot of opposition, but they have a lot of success. That would be normal for us as well. And there's stuff that when we read the book of Acts, uh, applies to our lives. Even though, you know, it's 2,000 years ago, God is up to something exciting in your life and in my life and in the lives of those around us. And when we are part of what God is doing and God uses us, it is exhilarating. It is really exciting to see somebody's life changed because of what God is doing in them, where God gives them hope. So, uh, you know, what I want you to get out of this message today is think about what the Apostle Paul is going through on his first missionary experience. And think about how does that relate to your life? How does it how does what the Apostle Paul and th those that went with them, how do they go about doing things and how might you go about doing things? Uh, and yeah, so let me just ask Jesus to speak to each of us today. Jesus, we just acknowledge that because we can't see you, uh, it's uh, a challenge for us to be people that live by faith where we can experience you and we can know that your love for us is certain. And yet we walk with so many questions and uh, we have to live by faith. So Lord, I just pray today that you would encourage each person here today that whatever is not okay in their life, you would shake it up, you would challenge each one of us, you would help us to get out of whatever it is that we're in, that we're stuck in, but also that we could see what it is that you're doing around us and be part of that and enjoy the excitement of being part of what it is that you're doing because it's so rewarding for us. In your name, Jesus, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be here. Amen. If you have a uh, Bible, why don't you open it up? And if you've got your bulletin insert, uh, you can pull that out too. Now, I, I'm doing something different. You've probably noticed in these bulletin inserts. I'm no longer asking you to fill in the blank. Um, I'm not sure if it's better to have you fill in the blank or not fill in the blank. Some of you prefer filling in the blank. And some saying, well, now the whole sermon's predictable. I just scan through the bulletin outline and then, you know, check out or fall asleep. At least when it was filling the blank, uh, it was some degree of unpredictability. But uh, here's, the other, here's the other benefit of just like sort of giving you the whole way it's going is uh, you can circle or underline or highlight certain aspects of the scripture that is pertinent here. Uh, and hopefully, you know, if you're using this as a, uh, <clears throat> a devotional or Bible study tool during the week, uh, you will not only remember, but have it in front of you where we were going. So, um, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 12, reads as follows. And this is the Apostle Paul, and this is him starting on his first missions trip. So just to set the stage, uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He's spoken to his disciples, and uh, Christianity is not exactly um, being well accepted. Uh, there's been a lot of resistance, but at the same time, there's a lot of supernatural miracles taking place. 
And while many are rejecting what's being said and done, uh, there's a lot of people that are accepting what's being said and done. But the, the spiritual climate is now moving from the epicenter of Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria. Now, uh, it's a little confusing with uh, geography today because the Syria of Antioch of, in Syria of the Bible is now Turkey. It's not the current day Syria. So it's southern Turkey. Uh, and to add uh, more complexity, in fact, uh, why don't you stick that map up for me uh, quickly? Uh, to add more sort of complexity to geography, there's two Antiochs. One in the Bible, one is Antioch of Syria, which you know, is directly north of Jerusalem. And the other Antioch is in the middle of what would have been uh, you know, Asia, Cappadocia, uh, center of Turkey. And so you want to kind of, when you're reading through, you just want to be thinking, is it Antioch of Syria or is it the other Antioch? But the Antioch of Syria is now the epicenter of Christianity. This is like the second biggest uh, church. This is where things are happening. This is where Paul goes to frequently. And indeed, this is where he starts his first missions uh, travels from. So that big introduction, let me read it. 13 verse 1, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. After they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, this is where the name switches, we fil was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you are a son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Well, there's, there's you know, quite a lot in that uh, little section of Scripture of what's going on. 
but I might want to just sort of point out some of the perhaps obvious, <clears throat> and that is, who's, who's all involved in this church? Where are they? Uh, what's going on? Uh, but I want to make uh, three uh, observations here. Uh, when we get going with Jesus, when Jesus is doing stuff in us and around us, it invariably involves others. It's not just you alone. It invariably involves the church, and it invariably involves the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the combination of these factors that uh, we need to be uh, paying attention to. So, uh, you know, firstly, just look at the unlikely uh, team of people that are gathered together. Uh, because God is going to invariably uh, do things in your life that's going to push you past your comfort zone. Uh, so, you know, if you join a club for whatever reason, say you join a tennis club, obviously the common interest is tennis. And one of the benefits that you have is you start meeting people of all different uh, backgrounds that are all interested in tennis. Now, it can be old people, young people, good players, bad players, and that's part of the fun of joining a club and doing that sort of thing. Uh, when you go to work, uh, obviously the common interest is you're working for a company or want to get paid and the company's got a mission and you tend to work with people, again, different people, different places, but you have this common interest in working together. Uh, likewise, when you come to church, uh, you meet people, uh, and believe me, you'll meet more diverse people in church than a tennis club or a corporation because people come to church for a whole bunch of different reasons. And now you're going to meet old people, young people, teenagers, kids, you know, highly motivated people, people that fall asleep in the pews. I mean, you just meet the whole spectrum. Uh, and it ends up being a, a huge blessing. But it always takes us out of our comfort zone. I mean, like if you're going to go to the women's retreat or the men's retreat, the first thing is like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. What's going to happen? Who's going to be there? I don't know everybody. And so we have to get used to getting out of our comfort zone. But if God is going to do something in your life, that's the first thing you've got to get, get used to. I mean, it's no small barrier for you to get here into church. I don't know what your experience was, but for somebody to actually make their way through those front doors, decide they're coming to church on a Sunday morning, and actually be present here is a monumental like exercise. You've got to overcome a lot of anxiety, fears, barriers, concerns, but you're here. And uh, now that you're here, I pray that the Lord really blesses you by using all sorts of weird and wonderful people. I, I mean, it's just the way God works. He uses weird and wonderful people to bless you. So in this particular case, I mean, look at this motley crew. They are from like all over. You know, Barnabas, he's from, he's from Cyprus. Um, Simeon, he's called the black man, so I presume he's from North Africa somewhere. And Lucius is from Cyrene. And Manian, I mean, he's a childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. You know, it's like, okay, this is an unlikely group of people to agree about anything. I mean, if they're talking politics, they're not getting on. If they're talking about, like, uh, whatever the latest sporting event was in their day, you know, I don't know what it was, maybe it was warming up for the Olympics, I don't know, long distance running has got to be in there somewhere, but, 
you know, I, I, they probably wouldn't agree on a whole lot of things. But the Spirit of God is unifying them, and they are an encouragement to each other. And so it's not unlike God to use your background and your personal experience and where you are from or your interests and use that as a starting block. So Paul and his first missions trip goes to Cyprus. Well, that's kind of a logical place to go, and that's where Barnabas is from, you know. So that's where they go, and God uses all sorts of different, uh, different people. The other thing is, of course, different people have different gifts. Uh, we, we look at this uh, setup here, and we see, well, some of them are prophets, uh, you know, they're teachers, they're getting together as a church, and they're seeking God. Uh, it's also interesting to note that what did these early church people do when they got together? I mean, it sounds like they were doing what we do. You know, they worship the Lord. They seek the Lord. But then it also seems like they're quite committed because sort of just in passing, they say, oh, well, you know, they fast. And we say, well, fast? I mean, like we have to make a big deal to be fasting. You know, we had to call it like Jesus had to die on the cross. We had to have like a whole Lenten season. Like how about we fast for a short period? You know, most of us aren't saying, you know, I'm just going to fast on a regular basis because I really want to experience God. I'm seeking God. And yet we should. Uh, sometimes some of you, uh, you know, take a certain time of the, the, the calendar, like maybe every Wednesday or one Wednesday a week or, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to do. But you can get as much or as little of God as you want. But these folks were hanging around, they were worshiping God, they were fasting, they were listening to the preaching and the teaching uh, and encouraging each other to do what God was doing in their lives. So... The second point I'm trying to make is it always involves church. And the reason church is always central to what God is doing in your life and why, you know, if you say, I'm just not interested in church, I'm not going to be part of church, or I'll come to church, you know, once a year, uh, what you miss out on is other people's giftings. Uh, you can't orchestrate a experience with the Spirit of God just like when you want to have it. When we worship together, there's something that we experience that we can't manufacture, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you come to God on Sunday morning, you're saying, God, you know, I'm just showing up. This is what I want to do. I just want to do it because it's honoring to you. Uh, it's more likely I'm going to be saying something from the Word of God that's going to be pertinent to your life than if you just try and do it on your own. I mean, I don't know what your spouse or your friends or whoever's not at church today with you, what are they doing this morning? I mean, it's probably not a great big spiritual experience. I mean, they're probably sleeping and eating and, you know, taking it easy, watching TV. I'm sure that's not very inspiring, you know, more news at, you know, 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. How, how exciting can that be? You know, who killed who? Uh, it just, come to church and, and you've got a chance for God to, you know, to speak to us. The church is always part of it. Now, I just want to read Acts 13.1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch. Uh, so this group of people, we don't know if it's big or small, but they consider themselves a church that gets together and meets regularly, and each person's got some gifting or some part uh, to play in this. And then they seek the Lord. It's not like the early church 
had this big special advantage where God was speaking to them clearly. They had to really like press in and ask the Lord, like, God, what is it that you're doing and how can I be part of it? And this passage is particularly interesting to me because it sounds like God speaks to them pretty powerfully uh, and they do absolutely nothing. Well, they don't do quite nothing. Look, look what it says here. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Now, you and I would love to know exactly how did the Holy Spirit say that. When he said, God said, was that an audible voice that they all heard? I don't think so. But did God speak? Because, you know, this is Christian language. We use this. I use it a lot. I say, God said. God spoke. I felt like God say, said this. And then if you're new to faith, it's like audible voice. And you say, well, no, no, no. It's not an audible voice. And then the next obvious question, well, how did he speak if it wasn't an audible voice? And yet here we have it in Scripture saying the Lord spoke to them. The Holy Spirit said, it was very clear, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. I mean, God is very, very, very specific, naming the people and saying, I've got special work. I mean, they all got it, however they got it. I don't think it was an audible voice, but somehow they all got it. But here's the interesting part. So after more, fasting and prayer. Okay, if God has spoken to you really, really clearly, what did they do? They prayed some more. Which tells me something like, it probably wasn't that clear. Like, God, are you, are you really saying this? Paul? You know, Barnabas? You know, you, you really want to use those losers? I mean, you know, what about, what about these other guys? And these other guys are really excited and you're not choosing them. Really, Lord? I mean, I don't know what was going on in that little meeting, but I know church. You know, I understand what happens in these dynamics. Like, I want to go. No, I don't want to go. I want you to go. No, I don't want to. You know, it's always a mess. But what do these guys do? They lean into the Spirit of God and they pray and they fast some more. And then they, the clarity comes and then everybody agrees and they lay hands on these guys. Now, again, why do they have to lay hands? God's already said, go and do it. But there's something that God wants in His way that we get together as a church to participate. He wants the church to be involved laying hands. He wanted the church to be involved in hearing what the Spirit was saying to them. And He wanted the church to be involved in launching them. I mean, it's the way of the, it's the, way of the Lord and it's the way and the role of the church. It's what we do. Uh, this is the way we do it and this is why we do it. This is how we get... The ideas of what we do, uh, we, we pick it up from the Word of God. But the involvement of the Holy Spirit is wonderful, but it's also a mystery. So, you know, if the first challenge we have is exactly what is hearing uh, look like, our next challenge should be, uh, okay, when we sense that we got, God is doing something in our life, uh, we're on to something, we feel like this is what God wants us to do. We shouldn't give up on praying and fasting a little bit more and pressing in and asking for even more clarity. But that should not be an excuse for just like endless like, you know, prayer. Like, God, I, I, you know, I think you've told me to do this, but I'm not like 100% sure. You'll never, ever be 100% sure. We are people of faith. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's always going to be this tension in us where we're experiencing God but we say, is it really you, God? 
And we always have to lean in and press and say, God, I need more clarity. I'm going to do what I think you're telling me to do. And I'm going to make course corrections as others encourage me and, and speak into my life. That's normal Christianity. It's normal uh, dependence on God. And the one thing that we hate is dependence on God. And the thing that God loves is that we are dependent on Him. God always wants us to be pressing in, asking, praying, reading. Is this you? Are you leading me? And we always want to say, you know, I'll just do it my way. God, just give me the instructions and then you get out of the way. I'm, I'm okay. For, no, I'll take over from here. We constantly want to tell God, like, take a back seat. I'm okay. Uh, whenever we're in crisis, we pray to God. Whenever things are going great, we tend to say, ah, you know, well, God will get you later. Uh, so anyway, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is part of everyday, normal Christian activity, and yet it's always a challenge for all of us. All of us. Uh, one of my um, you know, excitements about coming into the Vineyard Movement was seeing the power of the Holy Spirit working in believers and non-believers. And I also think that one of the things that God is doing today is uh, seeing the Holy Spirit move outside of the church. I mean, I think one of the mistakes that the church has made in the past is we would do a lot of things inside the church, but it, it just stayed inside the church. And I think we need to do both. It's inside and outside. Now, for you and for me, we feel more comfortable doing supernatural or what others would say weird stuff in church because you say, well, that's church. We've got the safety of church. We've got like-minded people. But are we willing to take a risk for Jesus in church? And for some, it's like a huge like, challenge. Like even in church, it's, it's a reluctance or, uh, you know, I don't want to take a risk. But when we get outside of church and we start talking to people about spiritual conversations or asking to pray for people, or asking God for some sort of insight into their lives and how God might be wanting to work, we become very challenged. And I tell you, for the teenagers, this is the stuff that they live for. Coming to church and listening to me preach every week, they just fall asleep, and it's like, how long is the sermon going to be? You know, it's just... It's just now after I've got the two missionary folks from Spain, they'll never get bored again because they did hear it from the pastor there. Yes, Rob, please preach for two hours. And they were very relieved when I said, I'm only going to preach for an hour. There, there, there was like good you know, education, another culture. But on the other hand, they did hear me preach for three hours at the leadership meeting. I mean, that was a shock to me too, you know. If you're going to get asked to preach at a leadership meeting, I'm thinking 45 minutes an hour. And when I asked the pastor, like, how long do you want me to preach for or talk at the leadership meeting? Oh, three hours. And then, you know, if you need a little bit more time, it's okay. And Amelia and Lily are like, the eyes are like this. I'm like, three hours? Okay, three hours later, they're like, oh, wind it up, Rob. Finish it up. But the stuff that the teenagers live for is like, can we get out in the park and can we pray for somebody to be healed? I mean, because it's exciting. And it's risky. And it's challenging. And, you know, for people that want risk and challenge and excitement, this is a great experience. And our teens are doing that. You know, they go they do these things called uh, treasure seeking and where they'll pray in church and say, God, just show me somebody. 
that you want me to go pray for. And then they go out in the park and they look for that person. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of freaky. It's kind of strange, but it's fun. And the fun part is when it all comes together, it's not fun when it doesn't happen. I mean, that's not fun. Nobody like, wants to go out and just be a fool. But people love it when you go out and you see God actually do something. And, and you know, as we get older, we become more conservative. But teenagers love this stuff. And I just like love to pray for them and anoint them and have them go out and do it. And, and I actually like doing it too. So, you know, as you can hear, I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't like it. But if you see what happens here... You know, Paul's just going about his business. He's trying to preach at synagogues, the normal method of preaching. And then he comes across resistance. And it's not difficult to pick up resistance because we pick up resistance all the time. But, you know, this was a pretty unusual thing when some guy all of a sudden becomes blind. You know, and then the, the governor sees the person go blind. And he's like, whoa, don't mess with God. I mean, you start you know, messing with God, you might just go blind or get leprosy or, or whatever. I mean, it, it sort of gets your attention just a little bit. And so, you know, the governor's like, whoa, I'm actually, the governor was actually interested in things of God, and this guy's trying to pull him away. And he both saw something and he heard something. He didn't just hear, he saw and heard. And so, you know, my prayer is that God would, uh, in a similar way, work in our lives where we... Uh, have an increase in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where when we pray for people, we actually see them get healed. I mean, you know, your own kids and your family and your friends, and, and God would just give us insights as to what He's doing. But I think part of it is desiring it, and part of it is saying, I'm willing to risk. And it's always going to push us beyond our comfort zone. But I tell you, church will never, ever, ever be boring if that's your weekly routine, where you're asking God to show you what He's doing and then have the guts to go and do what it is you think God's doing. Because I guarantee you, once you feel like God shows you what He's doing, you're going to say, is that really you, Lord? You're, you want me to do what? That'll be the normal response. And you'll never know the answer to that unless you do it. That'll be the other side of it. And yet, when you do do it and God comes through, I guarantee you the next thing you'll say, let's do that again. That was fun. So uh, all I'm saying is this. Let's give God place in our lives. Let's not get stuck in our complacency. Let's not get stuck in our routine. Let not, let's not get stuck in the things which are sucking the life out of us. And let's give God an opportunity to move in our lives. But, you know, it's a twofold thing. One is a frame of reference and one is the act of pursuing God in prayer and fasting to say, God, I'm yours. Use me, move in me. So let me just uh, wrap this up this way and summarize what I'm saying here. Uh, God will involve others. God will involve the church. And God always uses the Holy Spirit. But He wants to break the bondages that we're in. He wants to break the way we do things. And there's always more. And if God is, you know, if church or your life is boring, or church seems boring, you want to ask God, God, there's got to be more. Use me. Don't point the finger at somebody else. Use me. Show me, God. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? It, when we start doing that, church will never be boring. 
it'll always be a sense of where we're talking about the stories of what God is doing in our lives. So Lord Jesus, I just lift up your people. I just pray that nobody would feel stuck. Nobody would feel uh, like walking with you and worshiping you and reading about you is boring. Lord, I, I pray for anybody that feels disconnected with you, uh, you would reveal to them what it is that you're doing in their lives. Lord, those that need rest, I pray that you give them rest. Those that are grieving, I pray that you help them in their grieving. Lord, those that need to take a, a step back for a season, I pray that you would uh, restore them, rest them up. But Lord, for all of those that are asking to see you and to have you involved in their lives, I just pray, Lord, this week that you'd give them opportunities to partner with what it is that you're doing, that we indeed can be good news and bring good news to those that are asking. And Lord, give us the opportunities. I just pray your blessing, Lord, on these people, on their family, on their kids, on their spouse, spouses. Lord, I just pray for your blessing and well-being this week as we go out. In your name, Jesus. Amen.